I know that for myself, like particularly around like issues of injustice, I was much more concerned with how I was going to be perceived as an activist or perceived as a leader or perceived as a Christian than I was about my actual life with God. So my life with God was oriented around getting the right directions. The stories that I would know from scripture are were marked by like people who did things wrong. Uh, I think there's an, a powerful invitation for people who desire to follow Jesus and decolonize their faith to stop trying to perform Christianity and to, to live a life with God that is genuine with ourselves, genuine with our neighbors, and genuinely resistant to the patterns and structures of the day, which with Romans 12, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I need to know there is justice, and it will roll in and that you're building a city when we arrive as immigrants, and you call us citizens, and you welcome us as children home. Welcome to Shake the Dust, Living Colonized Faith for the Kingdom of God, a podcast of KTF Press. My name is Cy Hoekstra. I'm here with Jonathan Walton and just Jonathan Walton this week. Susie will be back next week, never fear. This week, Jonathan and I are going to be talking uh, about emotional health and its importance to justice work, to discipleship, and to liberation of communities. We're going to kind of get into how systems of oppression, systems of colonialism rely on the suppression of emotions. We're going to get into how communities who practice emotional health together have an easier time talking about controversial issues. We're going to talk about how dealing with people who disagree with you on fundamental things uh, can be done in an emotionally healthy way, and a whole lot more. It's going to be a good conversation, but before we get started, as always, remember, if you like this podcast, you can support it by going to ktfpress.com and becoming a subscriber, a monthly or annual subscriber. You can get a free month of that subscription by going to ktfpress.com slash free month. And that gets you our weekly newsletter with resources for discipleship and political education as you leave colonized faith for the kingdom of God. It gets you bonus episodes to this show and some writing from from us. It also helps support the free version of this show and uh, our future book projects. It also, you know, we never bring this up, but it also helps with things like uh, transcribing this show to make sure that it's accessible for everybody, which is something that Susie handles, which we really appreciate, and something that our subscribers... Uh, money supports. Also, by the way, speaking of the book project uh, that the subscribers are helping support, keep an eye on this podcast feed next week. You're going to get not just our regular episode, but a little something extra. We're going to be able to tell you uh, some really exciting news about stuff that we're doing. Also, please follow us on social media at KTF Press on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell your friends about us right into the show at shakethedust at ktfpress.com with any questions that you have. Uh, we have gotten a couple of questions. We really appreciate it. And we're going to answer some of them uh, on a reflection episode that we're going to be doing in two weeks as our uh, season finale. So we're very much looking forward to that. Okay, so Jonathan, let's just start with uh, the first basic question, which is when we're, when we're talking about emotional health and justice work, Why? Why, why do we need to do this? This is something that a lot of uh, organizers and a lot of churches do not talk about. So why are we talking about it? I think we're talking about it because when we refuse to recognize our emotions, when we recognize our emotions, but then downplay or just diminish or dismiss them, um, I think we're actually crushing an essential part of the image of God being reflected in us. And that is our anger our frustration, our sadness, our jealousy, our 
um, core desires for things to be things to be different than what they are, or to celebrate the things that are reflecting what God intended. And so, I actually think that the reason that we need to talk about it, talk about it more, and then begin to engage and understand in a more deep and profound way, is because when we dismiss, diminish, or otherwise just like get rid of our emotions, what we're actually doing is missing a part of the image of God in ourselves that we then can't even reflect or um, accentuate or call out in other people. It's also then something that you are just excluding from your, your discipleship and your movement toward God, like in any way, if you're dismissing or diminishing, I think you don't have emotions. They're not important. Mm -hmm. Then yeah, just by definition, you're like leaving that out of your spiritual direction. Right. Right. And I mean, for (laughs) fortunately or unfortunately, like that's the, uh, like stripping people and individuals and systems of their emotional lives allows for control. It allows for some sort of like cohesion manipulation. Like it's helpful for systems and structures that abuse and oppress to have emotions not be a thing. Cause I can't acknowledge pain. I can't acknowledge abuse. Can't acknowledge mistrust. Can't acknowledge confusion. Like we need to be objective and engage in a way that is like harmonious, usually just harmonious for people in power and not those who are actually experiencing pain. But yeah, there's there's all kinds of unhelpful things like you said when emotions are stripped of out of our discipleship and formation. Which is why so many people push back when there are just calls for unity in the face of like discord and oppression and harm. Yes. Right? Is is because the the unity that a lot of people are calling for is is actually just like submission to the same old people and stop complaining and stop telling us how you are hurt and how you are sad and all of that. Yes, because to acknowledge that you, someone else has feelings, I then have to engage with my own emotions. That's why the the commandment or invitation by God to to mourn with those who mourn is really difficult. Because then we have to actually mourn our own stuff. Like so for example, around a conversation around race, like I remember the first time Priscilla told me, she was like, Jonathan, like you need to figure out what it means to be black for like the sake of our children and the sake of like, just that would be exceptionally helpful. She actually just said it like we were in the kitchen one day because it's, it's an essential thing to her for me to know those things. But like, I didn't want to engage with the emotions around what it would mean to do that. And so most people don't want to talk about race and conflict and like other things because we don't want to actually deal with our emotions. So I, I think unlocking the emotional stuff is actually the key to discipleship around these uh, foundational, foundational topics. Can I ask you to go like one one level deeper on that story mm-hmm. and get a, a tiny bit more personal? Like just just for the sake of having an example for people, yeah. Like yeah, what, yeah. what were the what were the emotions that you were trying to avoid? Oh, for sure. Like uh, I have, it was really really difficult for me before Maya was born. My my first my oldest daughter was born, and before I I was I was really con- not confronted, but like lovingly like lovingly con- confronted by my brother and my sister-in-law who were like Jonathan when are you going to tell Maya that she's black and i did not have any concrete things for me to hold on to post like Trayvon Martin being killed that did not associate being black with being in pain and being mm. afraid and be like i was like how can i like tell this child that I love deeply about this yoke that she has to bear. 
now blackness and the black experience in America on this side of the Atlantic and all of those things is much, much, much deeper and more beautiful and more profound and more amazing, more wonderful and all of those things than slavery and oppression. But slavery and oppression were all that I could conjure in the moment to share. And that's very different now, but what I didn't want to deal with at that time was the pain. And that is not just a lack of, of, uh, of knowledge of history about Nat Turner and Maya Angelou and James Baldwin. Like it is the, like, I don't, I don't have the emotional strength, emotional formation to deal with pain and struggle and lament. And now that I've been working on that, I can invite my daughter into something that is much more profound and robust. Mm. And a bit of context for people who haven't paid attention to every single detail about our personal lives that we've said on the podcast. Mm-hmm. You're talking about your Chinese and Korean American wife and your mixed race daughter. That's why these are questions. Yes. Of, yeah, that is right why now. these are essential questions. Yeah. So then just to make things crystal clear for everyone, Jonathan, had, had you not done that, right? Had you not engaged in that deeper way and been able to talk to Maya about like a tradition of which she can be proud of and engage like with in a nuanced and complex way. Basically what happens is blackness gets diminished within your family, right? Which then mm-hmm. supports the system. Like that's what we, that's exactly. where I'm just trying to connect us back to what we said before, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the idea, like basically by you not engaging in your own personal emotional health, mm-hmm. racism is perpetuated within yes. your own family. Absolutely. Right. Right. And then, so then my daughter does not actually get the formation necessary for her to know God, know herself and know her neighbor. Like she, she doesn't get it. And so she doesn't end, she ends up with an ethnic identity seesaw where she just like swings back and forth because she's going to get hit by things the way that I was like, Oh, blackness only comes up when you need to worry about getting stopped by the police. It doesn't come up as we explain the food we eat and the way that we pray and the conversations we have and the music we listen to and, the family that we see, right? It, it needs to be um, much more of a, a meal on a, on a, a table that she can uh, imbibe and receive as good as opposed to this pendulum that swings back and forth where blackness only comes up when her blackness is a problem. Ethnic identity seesaw. That's a, that's a phrase. That's a good poet phrase. That <laughs> the image in my head was like, I'm black and then I'm Chinese and I'm black and then I'm Korean and I'm black. And it, gets just, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> you know? Inherently unstable. And it, you're right. Inherently unstable, not, yeah. not holistic, not like an integrated person. Yeah. So one example from my world, from like the disability community, I think that, that we run into all the time is disability rights people are constantly trying to encourage disabled people to be self-advocates, meaning to like stand up for yourself, to tell people what you need and to try and, and fight for yourself to get it in all kinds of different scenarios, right? In, in um, the workplace and in school and in, you know, just dealing with like the, the, the benefit system that so many disabled people have to deal with. And um, so the way that emotional health comes into this is, you know, one of the things that disabled people are constantly told is that you're a burden, right? You're mm. difficult you are causing trouble, you're rocking the boat, whatever. And so like, if you if you are somebody whose reaction to that, like me, is you just become sad, and you become someone who says like, no, I'm going to be reliable at all turns, and I'm going to ask as little of people as possible, basically, so that I can counter the stereotype, 
and show them that they're wrong. And, and like, instead of just dealing with the fact that I'm sad about, about the fact that it's hard to ask for accommodations as a disabled person, implicitly in all that is I'm, I'm listening to that. I'm agreeing with them. I'm saying like, yes, I am too much of a burden and I shouldn't uh, be asking you for all this. And then I stop asking for things, right? If you, if you agree with, if you listen, if you think of yourself as a burden, if instead of dealing with the sadness, you just try and not to be a burden, then what happens is you stop asking for things. You stop asking for the accommodations to which you are like legally and morally entitled. You stop rocking the boat. You, ex- you end up excluding yourself from things right? or, yes. per- or not, not excluding yourself, but participating in the exclusion of yourself from things because you didn't ask for what you needed because right. it's too hard and the emotional weight of it is too much. And I do not in any way, and I, you don't either, I know, mean to like shame people who haven't done this because both of us are hyper aware of like how incredibly difficult it is mm-hmm. um, to engage in these things. It's just like, that, we're just saying like, that's just how it works. Right. right. And that's the importance of, of engaging in like emotional health and discipleship around your emotions, because even though it is extremely hard and I don't mean to judge or shame anyone who hasn't done it, um, it is incredibly important. Just to press into that a little bit, like, that is a that that self removal to the corner like is a is a it's a it's a it's a coping mechanism right because we yes. don't want to deal with the rejection we don't want to deal with the the dismissal and so it you know the the layers about that it's like emotional health is not just like our emotions but then it's the emotions about our emotions and then assigning those emotions value or or ju- uh, judgment as good or bad Right. So I can feel anger and then I get frustrated that I'm quote unquote always angry. And then I think that it's bad to be an angry black person. And so therefore I'm going to work really, really hard to not be seen this way. Right. And so I've got to actually do like three layers of work to deal with the reality that I'm actually angry about a black person being killed by the police. Right. To get back to the original thing. Yes. Take moving through so many layers specifically because you were not able at the time to just say, I am angry. Yeah, exactly. That idea of trying to avoid like how you're seen mm. instead of dealing with the emotions like that immediately took me back to me as a kid. I, ha- I have um, the technology has changed. So they're not as big as they used to be. But I used to have very, very big, extremely thick glasses. Mm. And and I never wanted to wear them. Like mm. they, I would have them in my pocket all the time as a little, as a kid. And, mm. and I, you know, people, parents and teachers and whoever, why aren't you wearing your glasses? Why aren't you wearing glasses? It's because I don't want to be seen as someone who needs glasses. <laughs> like that's the answer. Mm. My glasses were just sitting in my pocket all the time. That is my, like, instead of just saying, I'm sad that I am someone that people Mm-hmm. Uh, exclude or marginalize for some obviously I would not have had that language when I was like six but like mm-hmm. <laughs> take take your glasses out of your pocket and put them on your face is what I'm saying <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah of course <laughs> um you had some specific thoughts about ways that like groups of people who have discipled themselves around this around these issues uh will be able to engage better in issues of justice together can you talk about that a little bit Mother Teresa's quote about like doing small things with great love. I think putting that into context, one of the small things that we can do with great love is listening and affirming the emotions of the people around us and ourselves. 
because when we have people who do small things with great love and they have the emotional awareness to go along with that, we can experience like a deeper level of love and acceptance that actually shows us like what it, it's like to be loved by Jesus. And so um, I, when I turned 30, I had surgery on both feet and both ankles. And so my, my good friends, Courtney Wong came over to help out because my daughter was six months old. Um, and we just needed, needed help because I was, I was in bed. She was vacuuming our bedroom and picking up our, my, my clothes. Like, and she looked at me and she said, Jonathan, does this, does this, does this make you uncomfortable? And so she's acknowledging like an emotion that I am not even aware that she can sense, but she affirmed it. She said, you know, it's okay to feel uncomfortable, but I'm really glad that you can rely on us and we can help you. So I was able to receive the thing that she was doing for me and also accept myself like in that moment and like go deep. Like, you know what? Like I, I can actually receive this as, as, as love and not just like a, a violation or like, uh, or I'm inconveniencing her in some way. And like, I could make all these assumptions about what she might be feeling, but she acknowledged or called out my emotion that she was sensing and then was able to share how she was actually feeling. And that gave me peace and I went to sleep and after taking Percocet, right? So it's like, <laughs> um, but, but it was- so the it combination of the peace and the Percocet put you to the sleep. Peace and the, the two Ps, yes, peace and the Percocet. But I was, but I was able to receive what she was doing and, and rest. So that's a great- Story. I know Courtney too, and she's awesome. I, um, how does having communities that are able to love each other like that with emotional health in mind then affect when those communities run into, uh, controversial and difficult issues like surrounding justice? So the way that this can, can manifest itself in, in community when there's like racial conflict or tension or just some other systemic issue is when Eric Garner was killed, um, I had, was supposed to go to Bible study that night at our pastor's apartment. And I could not bring myself to like go to Bible study when there's, you know, people suffering in the street and I needed to be in the street, but I didn't know that. Um, and I was afraid of like being rejected. I didn't want to argue with these people that like, you know, police brutality was a gospel issue and Christians should be on the street. So I just left. I didn't even engage with it. Um, but I had a wife who desired to be an ally with me and was willing to press me to say, Jonathan, like, why don't you just ask us to come? And this is an example of like the, what we had talked about before, where like, I don't want to be a problem. So I'm just going to remove myself to protect myself from the potential rejection, protect myself from the potential dismissal. And, but because we're like, pursuing emotional health as a church and me and my wife pursuing an emotionally healthy marriage where our emotions are part of our formation in Jesus. I was then able a year and a half later when I think when Terrence Crutcher was killed, I believe I was able to ask five friends to come march with me. Like I was the only black person in this group, but they were willing to march with me and I was able to ask them to do that. And that was, you know, terrifying for me and priscilla like mm -hmm. literally like held my hand through that whole experience of like jonathan like you can ask these people to come with you and if they don't come with you that doesn't mean that you are not valuable that doesn't mean that you aren't essential to the community it just it means they're not there where you are or that they're just unavailable they have something else to do you know but i don't i don't have to i don't have to assign value to my humanity based on like the emotions that i have about what these people can or cannot do or are willing or not willing to do so then 
multiply that mm. by a whole church congregation, right? If you have right. people who are willing to ask people to join in them in, in whatever it is that they're grieving, that they're trying to deal with, that they're trying to fight, who, who all understand that rejection, while it can mean that the person is like rejecting you as a person, you don't have to personally take it in that way, right? Or like meaning right. you don't have to listen to them. You don't have to listen to the rejection. Right. You don't have, right? And then you have the opportunity within that community to try and like change those dynamics. And, I, and again, like it's always going to be hard to mm-hmm. deal with people who are rejecting you as a person, which sometimes they are. Right. Sometimes people who say, I don't want to march with you. It's because they do not understand. They do not care. They're actually like happy with whatever you you are mourning. Right. And that like that can be a real thing. It's much easier to deal with a copperhead that is out than it is to assume that every drawer in your house has a copperhead in it. Right. And this is a, so this is from, such a country example. I know. This is a very <laughs> real example. So one time when I was a kid, we brought this table in the house from the shed outside and there was a copperhead in the drawer. And so when the, when we turned the table over, it just fell out into the floor and we killed it. But it was one of those things where like, you know, I could, then I could just walk around assuming every single drawer had a copperhead. And that's not true. I just need to check. We should tell people that a copperhead is a poisonous snake because there's got to be oh, somebody yes. who I'm doesn't so know. Oh, yes. I'm so sorry. So a, copper, a copperhead is a, is, a, is a type of poisonous snake common in the rural south yeah. of the United States. But the reality of like when a community can actually pull that stuff into the open, then you can deal with it. And I think people – like I remember having a conversation with someone. And again, I had, I had grown and done some work. And um, she had voted for Donald Trump without very much thought. And so she said to me, oh, yeah, like I voted for Donald Trump. And then she said, from the look on my face, I didn't say anything. She goes, I guess I didn't think about what that would mean to other people. And then she said, hmm, I probably need to think about that. And then I said, yes, you do. And then we went about our day, you know, Uh, but I didn't like try to condemn her with like this argument that I learned on Twitter or from graduate school. I just said. I just went, hmm, you, you didn't think about that. Let, let you sit with that for a second. Because I think often what, what people like myself do is we see an opening like that and we say, let me teach this person as much as possible right in now. this moment. And yeah. like, that's just not, it's not helpful every time. Like we make doors where there are no doors all the time to try and have these conversations. And a lot of the times, like we need to allow Jesus to deal with people so that we can work with God to do it Uh, because if we if someone can be convinced that black lives matter they can be convinced that they don't Mm. i think there's actually revelatory christ-centered jesus work that happens when someone recognizes that every person is made in the image of god Mm. which again doesn't mean don't learn the arguments yeah right (laughs) don't make the arguments publicly it doesn't mean that sometimes getting in the argument is beneficial (laughs) right Right. It just means when you when you're operating with like some sense of your own emotions and how they work and other people's emotions and how they work and how they can be submitted to Jesus like it's it's going to create a level of nuance in you when you're dealing with other people that you would not otherwise have. Right. Right. And a foundation of emotional communication is that it's honest, it's respectful and it's timely. And some people are are just not able to communicate around a conflict honestly 
And yeah. so, I, and I don't think we're communicating around conflict, honestly, or around an issue, honestly, if we're not able to acknowledge our emotions. It's, it's, it might be true, but it might not be honest from where we're coming from. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, and similarly, like, it's really difficult to understand the timeliness of something when we're not able to, um, to hear and see the other person. And so often the people that are sitting across from us become the idea that they have as opposed to a person made in the image of God, an individual with thoughts and opinions that are different from ours. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when people or individuals become their ideas solely, when we reduce someone to the idea that they hold, like we dehumanize them. And that, again, like you, we cannot have emotionally healthy conversations when we're not honest respectful or timely and reducing someone to just their ideas and what they believe is a disrespectful thing because you're minimizing like we're, we're not flat people we're not arguments on pieces of paper like we embody so much more than that it's a disrespectful thing and it is also again what oppressive systems do right yes reducing yes. someone down to just their ideology what they think what they believe and using that as as the basis to oppress or harm them in some way so let's um, talk for a second then, not, not so much about like when people are questioning you or your, your, your humanity or what you believe or what you're fighting for, uh, but when people are questioning their faith or trying to deconstruct and all of the emotions that are behind that. Um, I, I, right now, you know, for people who don't know, deconstruction is, is a word that gets applied to kind of a wide swath of things that are happening in the church in the United States in particular. Like, I think there was just a, a, a surge of people questioning their faith or the politics of their faith or the, the truth of their faith, a whole lot of things after Donald Trump was elected and after kind of the support for him uh, became so kind of obvious and insidious throughout the country from Christians. A lot of people have been walking away from their faith or their politics or their specific theology within their faith or, you know, there's just a whole lot of people questioning. And one of the labels that gets applied to all of that questioning is deconstruction. And I, right now in particular, there are a whole lot of people who are to the, you know, more conservative end of Christianity who are trying to kind of codify deconstruction as, as a bad thing, <laughs> who are trying to point out, who are, who are basically kind of, there's, there's a bit of a backlash to it now, right? Like trying to stop mm -hmm people from questioning things, trying to like argue that their motivations are bad or that they're inevitably going to end up all as atheists <laughs> or, right. you know, something like, so anyways, there's, there's a lot of, uh, I think emotional, unacknowledged emotional health questions that go into dealing with someone who is questioning their faith or their politics. Right. We could just mm -hmm. be talking about trying to leave colonized faith too. Um, so Jonathan, what, what are your thoughts around that? Colonization is, I think we've said this before, like on many podcasts and other people have said it, like it's a complete and thorough process. Like it governs every phase of your life. And I think that because de with decolonization, if we remove it from a political systemic level and what it is in America, it usually gets in the United States, it usually gets applied in the individual since I'm going to decolonize my faith. What that means to the people around us is that their normal, because they are in relation to us, is going to be disrupted. I think that conflict, because we don't live in uh, differentiated relationships most of the time, 
um, it becomes very deconstruction or decolonization becomes a threat to the quote unquote norms of our of our lives. What's a what's a differentiated relationship? Yeah, yeah. So um, if I am not differentiated from my wife, I am then enmeshed with her. So enmeshment would be we have to have the same thoughts. We have to have the same beliefs. We have to have the same values. We have to exercise in the same way. She's not allowed to be her own person. She's not allowed to be Priscilla who has her own thoughts, her own feelings, her own beliefs, independent of me, mm -hmm. right? Um, independent of me and just as valuable, right? Um, and colonization does that. Colonization says, this is what's valuable. This is what's good. This is what's right. This is what's just. This is what's beautiful. And we're all going to think this way. Right? And just as valuable, we should probably say, doesn't mean just as correct. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which I think, is, I think the reason that that's important to say is I think that's what a lot of people think about like de deconstruction and emotional health and all that stuff is like, oh, you're just going to say that like we nobody needs to have any views on anything. <laughs> right, right. You're throwing out absolute truth and objective, like all those yeah. things. Right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's not true. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> that's not that. That is nearly always a boogeyman. Right. Exactly. But it gets people afraid, mm -hmm. which pushes pushes us back into whatever system or structure was already at work. Right. And so I had a conversation with someone, and he said, you know, you know, white male, mid thirties, suburbs of New Jersey background, lives in Pennsylvania now. And he goes, I, I, just, I just can't bring up conversations about race with my mom. And I said, oh, like, are you differentiated from your mom or are you enmeshed with your mom? And he goes, oh, well, I guess I'm enmeshed with her. Like, because the mom doesn't actually fear having the conversations about race. It's actually more traumatic to think about being separated from her son and thinking differently from her kid. Because in her, because in her own family, that's how it works. If you disagree yes. on political things, yes. you're out. And, and that may have happened to her uncle. He disagreed with her father. And then they don't talk anymore. They only talk at Thanksgiving around things that don't matter, blah, 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 blah. Right? Like, so we, we fear that type of estrangement. And so then we don't actually do the work of conflict, which people suffer because of that. Because we don't actually enter into the destruction of systems and structures that oppress and violate. Because we're afraid of offending that uncle or being disowned by our parents or whatever those things are. And that, that's where I think, and you know, forgive me for like going out on a limb here, but like when Jesus says to hate our parents and to hate these, the things of this world, like I don't think he's saying to like hate these people and disown them and all that stuff. But like compared to how much we love God and love our neighbors and love the things of God, like we're going to hate these things. And so there's an invitation, I think, to, to love the things of God and reject the things of the world. When we reject systems and structures that abuse, violate, oppress, and marginalize, we are loving God. And it's going to come off to a lot of people as hating them. Yeah. Like they're going to think that you hate them. So I think then what, what, what you're saying is, partially at least, is when you're talking about like how you think about somebody who's questioning something that is, seems, feels fundamental to you, you can't... Um, do that from a distance. The, right. the way that you just talked about how this person interacts with his mother is like deeply tied up in his and his mom's relationship and their relationship to the rest of their family and right. the community around them. So I think what that means is people now who are trying to sort of collectively diagnose what's happening in the minds and hearts of people who are deconstructing their faith 
or at really anybody who's like doubting their faith and as part of like a movement, something that's happening on mass, you can't do that. Like you're inherently on a fool's errand trying right. to say, here's what's happening to all of them in their minds and their hearts. Like it's ridiculous. It cannot happen. You can, yeah. you look, people can analyze like social trends and you can come up with reasons that movements happen and all that, but you can never say people who deconstruct people who do this are doing, are just doing X, Y, and Z. They just feel this way. They just think this way. And if, they would stop doing X, Y, or Z, then they would sort of come back to what makes me comfortable. Like you mm-hmm. need to stop if you're doing that and think about yourself and your own emotions and like wh- where those thoughts and those, those, uh, why those words are coming out of your mouth, frankly, right, <laughs> it's right. something that you have to deal with, not something that they have to deal with. Yeah. Part of how colonization works is you have to classify and overgeneralize at all times mm. as quickly as possible. Like there, there's like, oh, women do this, men do this. The reality is like, that's not true. That dynamism I think is actually more beautiful and more robust, but it's uncontrollable in a society. You actually have to approach every person as an individual and have to engage with these person as though they have values and opinions and stuff like that and stop trying to put your our boxes of prejudice and proclivities and assumptions in the last eight podcasts we listened to and three YouTube clips and say, oh, well, every black person is going to behave this way because I heard this. And I think that is all in a pursuit to like make me feel comfortable in a world that is changing. And as long as we're trying to control someone, we cannot love them. Mm. All that to say, like, you know, going back a little bit, like the the reason that pursuing emotional health is important to decolonizing your faith is our faith is because it it is very, very difficult to love our neighbors well, love God well, love ourselves well, if we're not willing and able to engage with systems and structures in an honest, sincere, respectful way with ourselves and with other people. We can't do that without pursuing the emotional health and having the internal fortitude to engage for the long term. And I think we should probably emphasize that doesn't mean ignoring like real trends in the world, right? Like you, right. I, I can say I have I have experienced or lots of other disabled people have experienced able-bodied people reacting to our beliefs or our experiences in X way. It happens all the time. And when I see it again happen, like I can say, okay, this is part of a larger trend. And and here's how I deal with this this trend when it comes up. Like this doesn't preclude you acknowledging realities of patterns around you in society, right? Yes, yes, what, yes. Yeah, what we're talking about, how you deal with individual people that you're talking right. to, individual groups, like people who have, because everybody has their context. That's kind of, that. I think that's what we're saying. And yeah. the ways that people find their ways into those patterns and into those behaviors are incredibly complex and nuanced. And mm-hmm. uh, to, to be able to, engage with that complexity and that nuance instead of engaging with them as part of a monolith even when you are engaging with a a monolith that is like someone who is harming you because of a system that harms you you Mm -hmm. still have to engage with them you don't have to you can engage with them as individuals if you are you know approaching it having like really discipled yourself around emotional health right right so so being in relationship with Sai does not give me license to treat every disabled person like Psy. What it should do 
is say, oh, cultivate in me a posture of empathy. So I'm able to ask similar questions that I was able to grow and then ask Sai. I'm able yeah. to, to listen and engage with each person, right? Not just blanket, you know, this community of people as like the next Seabrin that I'm talking to. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I could- the next so, but I don't know if you've ever said that Seabrin is my full name on this podcast. Oh, yeah. So one other point with anybody who's questioning something that you think of as fundamental, if you're talking about somebody who behaves towards you in, a, in like a prejudice or oppressive way, or somebody who's like, questioning their faith or becoming like what you perceive as to be like to the left of you or whatever. One thing, Jonathan, that you've said that I think is really important is that like the main question that you should be asking to try and individualize that person to try and understand them uh, better is to ask yourself like primarily, how did they get to where they are and not ask yourself primarily like, how is what they think wrong and how can I get them to what I believe to be right? Yeah. Which again, does not preclude saying that they are wrong and, and trying to get them to where you think to be right. What it, what, what it does is that if the, your primary posture towards that person is how did they get to where they are, then you're going to seek to understand them uh, as an individual. And that's mm-hmm. going to just lead to like infinitely more fruitful interactions that respect them as a person that respect you as a person uh, and that are going to like humanize the conversation you're having instead of engaging in in that categorization you were just talking about, which is so essential to oppression. So as as we are talking about like engaging with people on an individual level and like understanding and not being ignorant of stereotypes and statistics and things like that, but not letting them define the person sitting in front of us, I think. Part of pursuing emotional health is judging and understanding what you have capacity for and what kind of relationship you want to pursue with the person that's in front of you. So with this guy that I was talking about before with his mom, he knows he wants to keep a relationship with his mom, right? These are not necessarily skills that you're going to exercise on a deep level with a troll on Twitter Mm -hmm. or like a comment section on Facebook. What we're talking about is is really trying to pursue and a deep like offline and online community of people that can move forward together. And I think oftentimes what we what what happens when we're trying to have these conversations is we're trying to be classified as someone who is good. Like I did a good thing and therefore I'm a good person. I treat this person good. Like good on me. As opposed to like how can I live with God in such a way That when people encounter me online or in real life, like they feel and receive that they are a person made in the image of God, regardless of how they treat me. And Mm -hmm. like, I know that for myself, like I have been particularly around like issues of injustice. I was much more concerned with how I was going to be perceived as an activist or perceived as a leader or perceived as a Christian than I was about my actual life with God. So my life with God was oriented around getting the right directions. So I would be perceived as the right way, doing the right thing and be a quote unquote good disciple. And so the stories that I would know from scripture are, were marked by like people who did things wrong. It's like Moses shouldn't have killed the Egyptian, shouldn't have got angry and hit the rock, didn't get into the promised land. I don't, I don't want 
I want to get in. So let me not be Moses in that way. Okay. Peter was hot headed and like, didn't know how to like control himself and was like always impulsive. Like, can't be that person. Right. As opposed to looking at like the sheer number of yeses and the pursuit that these people had of God through, through and in Christ when we talk about the, the New Testament, right? So uh, I think there's an, a powerful invitation for people who desire to follow Jesus and decolonize their faith and deconstruct their faith and have it be re- rebuilt and given back to us by like the power of the Holy Spirit through the resurrection of Jesus and the love of God is like to stop trying to perform Christianity and this this activism nature that like is cool right now and has been cool at different points um and to to do a, to live a life with God that is genuine with ourselves genuine with our neighbors and genuinely resistant to the patterns and structures of the day which with Romans 12 I think really embodies where it's like do not be conformed to the patterns of the world be transformed by the renewing of your mind for this is how we know what God's good and perfect will is like there's something transformative about wrestling with God that then renews our minds that then allows us to resist the patterns of the world. So I think a couple of things in res- in response to that, um, you know, one is it's in, uh, I think it's in second Peter where he, he talks about like the process of sanctification as being like becoming basically more and more useful to the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, it, it has it, at no point does anybody mention like sanctification as becoming a good enough person, right? Reaching a bar right. where you have been, you you get a certificate now. You're a good Christian, or you're you know, you're a good enough mm-hmm. activist, or whatever. Congratulations, you're done, right? It is a right. constant, ongoing process, and it's just a question of like the type of person that you're turning into, which is why like I think this emotional health stuff is is so incredibly beneficial to sanctification because sanctification is not about learning the correct things or behaving correctly it is about like the type of person that you are coming becoming and like how much closer you are growing to god the other thing for those of us who are like trying to you know move toward and fight for justice in one way or another like i think a lot of people get frustrated with uh, people who who don't want to do that sort of thing right like more conservative people who are trying to tell you to stop trying to attack you as emotionally unhealthy, like mm-hmm. basically saying, like, I, I think this is a way that people who are involved in justice work get distracted from emotional health is that people who want to maintain the status quo just argue that you have some like emotional problem that you need to deal with. Right. And if you right. were, if you were just kind of more sensible or more stable or more together in one way or another, you would um, not be so like difficult. You wouldn't rock the boat so much. You wouldn't be agitating so much. Right. Or, pe- or people think- would believe you and like be what you want them to be if you were just more stable and not as argumentative. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. If you were if you were less emotional, then, you know, this this kind of fake acting like they want what you want. Yeah. But well, I just want you yep. to be a little bit more calm about it or whatever, like trying to moderate you in that way. Right. And I think that actually does stop a lot of people who are trying to agitate for justice from engaging <laughs> in self-examination about your own emotional health, right? Like that is, that's right. a real impediment. Like I don't, I don't want to do what those people who are fighting me who want to maintain the status quo are, are saying I need to do. But I think what, what we're saying is that both of us and a lot of people that we know have actually found that like in bringing your emotions and your like psychological and mental health and everything under the discipleship of Jesus has actually like put us in a place where we can do these kinds of things for like a much 
longer period of time. And like, I don't, I, and had, having nothing to do with how many people were going to convince, having nothing to do with whether anyone is happy or not with, with like where we end up when we are emotionally healthy, like forget all that. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a matter of like discipleship and endurance. Yeah. And like, we imagine if like, oh my gosh, like imagine if Jesus had taken everybody's advice on how to convince people that what he was doing was good, <laughs> right? Something that happens when we engage with our emotions in a healthy way and use them as signals for like what we value and what we hold dear, what we think is beautiful and things like that is we don't become our emotions, right? And so something about a baby is they, when they have sadness or when they have anger, like it, it consumes them. Like if you take something from a child that they want, a tantrum can ensue. Like they will throw themselves into the floor, like flail, yell. There's nothing else to be done except addressing that thing. They become the the rage, the anger, the pain, the sadness that's happening. If we are more mature, <laughs> then like what we're able to do is not become our emotions. We feel them, interrogate them, figure out what the narratives are, right-size them so that we can then respond as Jesus would. So when yeah. we have when we when we are angry, um, I think a, a healthier way to deal and engage with people who are angry is to hear and receive their anger and then pursue proximity to that person so that you're able to to love them in to hear what the other the other narratives are and do that work, do that work yourself. Um, if if the relationship that you desire like calls for that and there's space and safety to do that. Yeah. I think just before we end, we should also emphasize that this is an always ongoing process. Like right. anything else yeah. in discipleship and sanctification and all that, like Jonathan and I are going to screw up and contradict everything that we just said within the next like 10 minutes, I'm sure. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it is something that you get better at over time. And just like I was saying before, there's no, there's no point where you get a certificate that says you're emotionally healthy and you're done now. Okay, we, we need, uh, Everest is going to wake up from a nap soon, so Jonathan needs to go. Jonathan, thank you so much for sitting here and talking to me with, yeah. with me today, for being <laughs> open and vulnerable as you always are. And um, yep. just a reminder, go to ktfpress.com, um, check that out, see, uh, consider becoming a, a monthly or an annual subscriber. If you want a free month of the subscription, go to ktfpress.com slash free month. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ktfpress. Uh, consider please telling telling somebody about us. Word of mouth is is a great way to help the show. Uh, and write into Shake the Dust at ktfpress.com to get us your questions. We're going to do uh, two episodes from now, a reflection uh, episode at the at the end of the season. Our theme song is Citizens by John Guerra. Our podcast art is by Jacqueline Tam, and we will see you all next week. Thanks. as like the next Seabrin that I'm talking to. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the next so, But I don't know if you've ever said that Seabrin is my full name on this podcast. Oh, yeah. They might have been like, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> like, what is a, what is a Seabrin? <laughs> <laughs>